Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Something that so many people ask, you know, if there's a God and he's a good God, why are there so many terrible things that happen? And it is, it is probably the number one question that we face when we're talking to people that are not disciples of Jesus. So we're going to tr- talk about that for the next few weeks. Right? Now, just to begin with, let me just say this. Um, the Bible again and again talks about mysteries. In other words, you and I are not going to know everything. Right? Wouldn't it, if we could know it all with our peanut brains, that would, that would mean things were really, really uh, very, very simple. Uh, I, I read this very recently that Australian astronomers, they determined they, determined they were going to calculate the number of stars in the universe. Um, they said they were 10 times more accurate than any study that had ever been done. And they came up with the number 70 sextillion, which is seven followed by 22 zeros or 70,000 million, million, million. Now, when you hear a number like that, it's really, really hard to grab hold of. So they said, here's a way to grab it. Think of it this way. There are about 10 times as many stars as there are grains of sand on all the world's beaches and deserts. More stars than grains of sand in all of the beaches in the world and all of the deserts in the world. And then they said the figure presented, they said, could be quite inaccurate because because we're looking at what we know of the universe. All right. And so they've said they made this statement ending. He said, using some of the most powerful telescopes, this is the, the number that we have arrived at. He said, but the true number could actually be infinite. All right. So there's more stars, 10 times more stars than all the grains of sand in all the beaches and all the deserts in the world. How many of you know that a God that threw that universe into existence is infinitely more intelligent than you and I? And and for us to think we're going to understand everything that happens is really, it's ludicrous. Um, In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then I shall know just as I am known. He's saying there are a lot of things that right now you and I are not going to understand. As it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So there are some things we are not going to understand. And for for me to get up here and say, I'm going to give you 21 points in the next three weeks. And we are going to tell you everything that you need to know. You're going to understand everything that happens is, 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 again, it's ludicrous. Right. However, the Bible definitely gives us a lot of insights into why things happen in this world. So I'd like to begin with Psalms 8 and verse 4. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under 
his feet. So when God created man, again, Genesis chapter 1, God said, let him have dominion. All right? You were created to have dominion. In Genesis 2, 15, the Lord took the man, put him in a garden to tend, to guard, to keep the garden. To tend, to guard, to keep. So God created man, gave him dominion, put all the works of his hands under man's authority. It has been said this way, that when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, Adam and Eve were God's under rulers. Right? In fact, it's int- well, we'll get there in just a moment. I- I'm, I'm going to jump ahead. Satan comes. Satan tempts Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, literally, they, they bow their knee to Satan. They fall for the temptation. Right? And when that happened, something happened in the spiritual realm. When they bowed their knees, they lost their authority. They lost their dominion. I want you to listen. This is in the New Testament, Luke chapter 4. The devil said to Jesus, he has taken him up and he's shown him, the Bible says, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and their glory. And Satan said, all this authority I will give you and their glory, the authority and the glory of all the nations of the world. For this has been delivered or given to me. And I give it to whomsoever I wish. So then Jesus rebukes him and said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. But Satan said, if you'll just worship me, I will give you all of the dominion and all of the glory of all the nations of the world because it has been delivered to me. Now, if the devil is lying, there's no temptation. So somebody gave Satan dominion and authority in the earth. Someone allowed him in. And who was that? That was Adam and Eve, right? That's who did that. When they bowed their knee, Satan took their authority. Now, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says that Satan is the God, small g, of this world. Where did he get that position? Well, Adam and Eve were meant to be the God, small g, of this world. They were to be God's under rulers. Adam was referred to as God's son. Literally, Satan took Adam and Eve's dominion. I like what it says in Job 19. It says, he has stripped me of my glory and he has taken my crown. Stripped me of my glory and taken my crown. That's the condition that Adam finds himself in. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man entered, excuse me, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned in Adam. So Adam comes, Adam bows his knee to Satan. What comes in? Death. Sin. And what comes in with death and sin? Every terrible thing that you and I can think of. There's death, there's sickness, there's disease, there's war, there's pestilence, there's famine, there's hurricanes, there's prejudice, there's rape, there's incest, there's hate, there's conflict, divorce, rebellion, jealousy, prejudice, cancer. You name the evil thing, and that's when it came in. Now, if you look before 
Satan shows up in Genesis chapter 3, you find Adam and Eve living in a beautiful paradise and God having fellowship with them every single day. You go and get rid of the devil. And by the way, it takes almost the entire Bible. We, don't, we, we get back down to the last two chapters of the Bible. And the devil is taken and thrown into the lake of fire where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He'll dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, sorrow, crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So before the devil shows up, Paradise, man and woman living with God. Get rid of the devil. Paradise, man and woman living with God. No more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying. It's gone. How many of you can kind of grab hold of what the Bible is saying here? Satan came in when Adam bowed his knee and sinned. All right. Jesus said it like this, the thief, the devil, he doesn't come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, but I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Years ago, I heard somebody refer to that verse as the great divide. It shows us what God does and it shows us what the devil does. Jesus says, if it kills, steals, and destroys, devil. If it brings life and it brings life abundantly, it's God. James said it like this. He said it a little different. James 1, verse 16. First, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And again, every time the Bible tells us not to be deceived, we are the most deceived. That's where we get the most deceived, where the Bible says don't be deceived. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of light in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What comes down from God the Father? Every good gift, every perfect gift. There's no shadow, no variation whatsoever. So we need to recognize the reason there's all the evil, the death, the pain, the crying, the war, the famine, the pestilence, all of it is not because God brought it. It's because the devil brought it. Acts 10, 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Right? First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Right? And, and let me just say this. The Bible refers to him as the accuser of the brethren. Right? And sometimes... If we are really, really trying, we're trying to figure out why did this happen? And, and we start navel-gazing, right? And, and we're trying to find something. Listen, if you're trying to find a reason, the devil will surely show you one. You went 46 miles an hour in a 45, and that's why all these bad things happened to you. 
Right? He, will, he will come, he will condemn you. Right? The Bible says, Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Right? So first of all, realize the devil is referred to as the God, small g, of this world. He's the one who brings death, sin, sickness, and disease. Secondly, we can open a door by doing foolish things that bring catastrophe. Ecclesiastes 7.17. Do not be overly wicked nor foolish. Why should you die before your time? Why should you die before your time? Now, it says don't be overly wicked. Let me give you an example from the Bible. Right? David has a son by the name of Ammon. And he has a half-sister by the name of Tamar. And he is burning up with lust for his sister. And so a friend of his said, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, why, why are you looking so, so disraught every day? And he says, what's my sister? He said, I'm just crazy about her. But what can I do? And so this friend of his named Jonadab says, well, this is what you do. Pretend to be sick. And after a while, your dad's going to show up and say, Dad, I'm just so sick. But if my sister were to come and she were to make some food and feed me, he says, you know, I, I would eat that food. So dad sends the sister. She gets there. He grabs her. He forces her. He rapes her. Right. And then she, she, she says to him, she says, you know, you have just you've, you've acted like a fool treating me like this. And the Bible says because there was never any love. There was just a bunch of lust. It says he turned her out and he despised her after he had raped her. Well, her brother Absalom hears about it. And unfortunately, David heard about it, but he didn't do anything. He did nothing. And so that, that unforgiveness, that anger, it just grew inside of Absalom. Two years later, Absalom has an opportunity and he murders his brother Ammon for what he did to his half-sister. Don't be overly wicked. The Bible says you, you, you can be wicked and the result can be you die. You die. It says don't be foolish. I, I know a, a, a woman who is paralyzed. Part of her body, quite a bit of her body is paralyzed. And she said, what happened? She said, uh, before I got saved, she says, we were out drinking one night. And she said, uh, we got drunk and we were driving the car. We got in an accident. We rolled the car. He said, we got it back up and took off again. He said, we got in another accident and rolled the car again. He says, we got back in the car and uh, got in an accident again. And she said, and I broke my neck and uh, I'm paralyzed. Now, how many know that was stupid? Not somebody says, oh, God did that. God did not do that. God didn't do that. Stupid. Um, know of a, of a case, in fact, a person attended church here. Um, their brother was killed. There, there were some high school students, and they were playing chicken. They, they were running blind red lights. Right? They ran blind red lights, and they, 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 there was their game. And they had done it quite a few times, and they... 
did it again. And um, the person who was here, his brother, uh, was in a vehicle, and they slammed into him and, and, and killed him. Um, was, was that the will of God? Absolutely not. You see, so many people think everything that happens is God's will. And again, the Bible says God wills that all men repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's will. But people slip into eternity every day without God. Jesus said, I have come to do your will, O God. He went around doing good, healing. Sickness wasn't God's will. Healing was God's will. People dying without God, that's not God's will. And, and when, why do you think Jesus told us to pray, your will be done, your kingdom come, if his will was always being done? It's not. And, and when we look at things that happen like this and think that's the will of God, God calls that. It's not true. First of all, we've got a devil. Sometimes we're foolish. Sometimes we're overly wicked. Sometimes we open the door ourselves. Ephesians 6 verse 16 says, above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. So Satan comes with fiery darts. And I think it is so significant that when James talks about our tongue, he talks about our tongue being a fire. He says, even so, the tongue is a little member, but it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members and it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature. Other translations say that it begins to move the wheel of nature. Right? And it is set on fire by hell. Literally, by the devil. The tongue is set on fire by hell. I believe it was a week or two ago that I was talking here on a Wednesday night. We were talking about our words. And I'm, I mentioned, Jacob said about whoever had stolen an idol in his family. He said, that person will die. They'll die. A short time later, his wife who's pregnant gives birth and dies. And she is the one who had stolen the idol. The Bible says in Proverbs that death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Remember, with the shield of faith, we quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. And the Bible says that the tongue is set on fire by hell or by the devil. What it's saying is this, that the devil will try to get words out of your mouth that will allow him an entrance into our life. Romans 10 and verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart. Do not say in your heart. Faith is released in our words. Jesus said that faith works for whosoever will say and not doubt in their heart. But, the, but faith, it says, it will not say. It will not say. But you know what the devil wants you to say? Oh, I'm going to die young just like all the people, you know, in, in my family. We all die young. All the men in my family have heart attacks 
in their 50s. So I'll probably have a heart attack in my 50s. You know, so many of my relatives have lost their mind. I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose my mind too. I think I'm really afraid I'm going to lose my mind as I get a little bit older. You know? And I'll never be able to get free from this addiction to alcohol. You know, I, I had two cousins that died of alcohol addiction. I'll probably die of an alcohol addiction myself. And, and I'm afraid I'm going to lose everything. I'm just afraid that somehow some sort of an economic catastrophe is going to take place. I'm going to lose it all. I'm afraid I'm going to die alone. I'll never be able to get free from drugs. You know, those words that you speak out of your mouth, those words open doors. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Freedom and bondage are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that eat it will eat the fruit thereof. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way, do not say. We tend to focus, again, on what we should say, and that's right, that's right. But we've got to remember that there are things that we should not say. I've used this example before, but my, my father was in World War II. And a lot of people in his unit lost their life. And when he came back from the war, he felt like he should have died. They call it survivor's guilt. But he said continuously, he said, I didn't die in the war, but I'm going to die young. I'll die before I'm 50. I didn't die in the war, but I'm going to die young and I'll die before I'm 50. I didn't die in the war, but I'll die young. I'll die before I'm 50. 49 years old, he died. The Bible says it so clearly, do not say. And we can open a door for the enemy. Remember, you quench the fiery darts of the enemy with the shield of faith. But the Bible says your tongue is set on fire by hell. I believe that most of the fiery darts that come at our lives come out of our mouth. The Bible says that your tongue, your tongue can be set on fire by hell. That is the enemy's goal. And of course, if you read there, you know, it says no one can tame the tongue. Right? Now, here's what it's saying. It's saying nobody can tame the tongue with natural human power. But you can tame the tongue with God's power. You can tame the tongue with God's power. Right. And then... I wanted to mention the, 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 the last way we open the door for some of these things to happen is through bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. This is so important that Jesus said in Mark 11, he said, every time you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Every time you pray, if you have anything against anybody, forgive him. Right? And of course, it's all inclusive. Anyone, anything, doesn't matter who, doesn't matter what. And he said, every time you pray, forgive. Somebody said, well, if I forgave him, do I need to do it again? You need to do it again if you're feeling bad towards it. If, you got, if there's some resentment, if there's some unforgiveness in your heart. Hebrews 12, verse 15 says this. Look carefully, lest any one of you fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up. And this translation says, causes trouble, and thereby many be defiled. 
The translator's New Testament says that that thing, that root of bitterness, it springs up, right? And it ruins everybody's life. Ruins everybody's life. Here, here's the thing. When, when that thing springs up, it doesn't, you, you, you cannot focus it. Let me just say it that way. When you've got unforgiveness, you think, I'm just mad at Sally. But the truth is, you're going to treat your spouse bad. You're going to kick the dog and run over the cat. Huh? You, because you can't focus it. It says it this way in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, this is what he said. He said, anger rests in the bosom of the fool. Right? I remember going to the bank just to cash a check. And the cashier went berserk. And I thought, what did I do? And I walked out of there and I realized I didn't do anything. I didn't make her mad. She woke up mad. Right? There are people that have been mad all week. And there are people that have been mad for a month and for a year and for a decade. And they can have a smile on their face. Right? But underneath, there's, there's just always this, this anger that's ready to explode. And you can say or do the littlest thing. And they just like, they go off and you're like, what did I do? You didn't do, right? But what you did was you touched a nerve. You touched something. And that anger that was there the whole time just erupts. And you, you can tell when this happens because it's totally disproportionate to anything that's going on. But that anger, the Bible says, it just rests there. And this is what it is, always it's unresolved conflict. There is someone that they did not forgive. Somebody hurt them or they, they, they took something. Not that maybe somebody did wrong, but they perceived that it was wrong. But they haven't forgiven. And they've got that unresolved conflict down on the inside. And when that thing springs up, the Bible says it spoils everybody's life. Now, the reason I brought this up is in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus' disciples come to him, and Peter's the one, he's the vocal one, and he says, Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus said to him, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And by the way, he didn't figure you'd be having your calculator out. He was just saying, you just keep forgiving and keep forgiving. And the disciples Interestingly, they said, Lord, increase our faith. Right? They understood something, that forgiveness isn't a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision that you do by faith. So then Jesus tells this parable. He says there's this king and there's this man who owes him billions of dollars. And he's brought before him and he can't pay. And so he says, please, just have mercy. Give me time. And, and I will repay you everything. And this debt is like $40 billion. How many of you know that if you owed $40 billion, it would not matter how long MasterCard gave you? Right? And so the master, the master, he just says, you know, I forgive you. And this guy goes out who's been forgiven, and he finds a fellow servant who owes him like $50. And he grabs him. He starts shaking him. And he says, pay me in. And he goes, just give me time. How many of you could handle 50 bucks over time? Right? 
But he says, no. And the Bible says that he has him put in debtor's prison because of that. And when the master hears about it, he's so upset. And he calls the man back. He said, I forgave you that great debt. A picture of God forgiving us. And he says, shouldn't you have forgiven those that owed you? And the answer, of course, is yes. And so what he does, the Bible says that this master, this king, he takes him and he delivers him to the tormentors. Okay? To who? To the tormentors. And you say, who are the tormentors? Well, we can look pretty, very, very, both Old and New Testament, to tell who the tormentors are. Right? In 1 Samuel 17, we all know the story. It's one of the best-known stories in the Old Testament. King David, he's still just a young man, he kills the giant Goliath. Right? The next chapter, chapter 18, the Bible says they're coming back from the, the battle. And the ladies come out and they've got their tambourines and they're dancing around and they're singing and they're going, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And the Bible says when Saul heard that, it says it displeased him greatly. And it says in verse 9, so he eyed David from that day forward. And on the next day, a distressing or an evil spirit from God came upon him. So one day he gets bitter. One day he holds a grudge. One day he won't forgive. And the next day there's a demon spirit knocking at his door. In the New Testament, in Ephesians, it says this. It says, don't let the, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Neither give place to the devil. Other translation says, don't give Satan a foothold or don't give Satan an opportunity. Right? When we refuse to forgive, we open the door for Satan to come in. You say, what does Satan bring? He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus told every single one of us, Every time that you pray, forgive, forgive anyone who has done anything. You say, why? To keep the door closed. When Saul refused, and it wasn't that David had even done something wrong. He just perceived it that way. When Saul refused to check his heart, to get things right, the next day an evil spirit came. And the New Testament is so clear. It says, don't let that sun go down on your anger. Don't give Satan a foothold. Don't give him an opportunity. Right? When we forgive, we close the door. All right. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? If you're here and you're not right with God, if I said to you, are you right with God? And you'd say, no, I want to be right, but I'm not right. Here's what I would like to say to you tonight, that you can be right with God tonight, that you should not let the devil have one more day of your life. His desire is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if you're here and shame is controlling you, secrets, 
destroying you. You're saying in your heart, I want to be different. I want a new life. I want to change the way I live and the way I think. I want a relationship with God. Or I want to come back to God. I want him to come into my life. I want him to rescue me. I want to serve him. I want to live for him. I want to be forgiven. In just a minute, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, would you please lift your hand? We're going to pray. God's going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. So here is what you're doing. When you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is you're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And I'm coming to Jesus to be saved today. One. Secondly, as you lift your hand, you're saying, God, I want to be a part of your family, a part of your kingdom. And I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm receiving Jesus as my Lord, and I'm going to live for him every day. Two. Now get ready to lift that hand. As you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today, I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. You say, pray with me. Pray with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Include me, Pastor. Include me. All right. Would everybody please stand? Just take one hand, just place it right over your heart. And we're going to pray with those that just lifted their hands. Just repeat this out loud. Just say, oh, God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. I receive him right now as my Lord and Savior. I thank you for blood washing me from my sin. I thank you my past is gone. That you make me a new person on the inside. A part of your family on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.